The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Steven. I'm Matthew. And I'm Rodrigo, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the show for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, there's a new nightmare in town, but at least he didn't kill Kitty Genovese. Logan suffers from a premature release, and the Bartons ain't the Bartons anymore, plus a league within a league. Controversy amongst the spoilerites? Dogs playing poker? Plus, two guys get a restraining order from one Eel O'Brien on this, the 88th consecutive string of running jokes and pop culture detritus. Ancient Chinese secret, huh? <laughs> the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. You know what, Matthew? I think we better clarify something. What's that? You're, you're not really no, Steve, and Matthew. I'm not really I'm Rodrigo. Steve. No. I think no, what's happening. Doctor, what? her patient, you nurse. I think what we're having it is an identity crisis. My name will be Wills Portaccio. <laughs> my hey, name is Rodrigo Montoya. You killed my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. Hey, everybody! Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Hello, uh, future people. If you can't tell, we will be talking about identity crisis in this issue, so you can look forward to that uh, later in the episode. Do you know ancient Chinese secret, Rodrigo? No. It is a... Uh, Do we need to explain the open yet again? <laughs> Apparently people like it when you throw those in and like it even better when we explain it for them. It's actually a reference to a 70s television commercial, which is why Rodrigo doesn't know it, for Calgon. Yes. Uh, Calgon? Dishwashing detergent, I believe. No, or, or clothing no, it was detergent. clothing detergent. Huh. And it's, it's set in a Chinese laundry, and someone says, he, they ask him how you get clothes so clean. He says, ancient Chinese secret. Yeah, it's very uh, kind of racist. Uh -huh. Yeah, it really is. It's offensive. The guy has act. like a giant, like giant no, mustache that no, originates from but like. But he does have a uh, a forced uh, Asian accent. Yeah, well, he was he was an Asian gentleman. He oh, was yeah, actually, he was. But uh, they did. Play it was the seventies. We were lucky to get an actual Asian playing an actual Asian. David Carradine made a career of playing an Asian in the seventies. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and that of course forced uh, Bruce Lee to go back to China. Because he was so upset. And become really, really famous, I might yeah. add. And, and and kick off some of the best kick-ass movies of all time. Well, if he'd been in Kung Fu, who would have been in The Big Boss? Exactly. Or Enter the Dragon. Or Fists of Fury, which is actually the same movie as The Big Boss. Anyway. How uh, are you? <laughs> I am doing fine. Thank you, everybody, again, once again, for joining us on the show. If you haven't gone back and listened to episode or issue number 87, our J.M. DeMattis and listener feedback special episode, please do it, won't you? It came out on Saturday, and I thought it was really good. We had some good discussion, answered a lot of feedback, got to talk to J.M. about uh, everything that's going on, reviewed a pretty kick-ass issue, uh, so a little plug there. Also, we're going to try to do another Saturday episode uh, this upcoming week, so you'll want to listen to episode 89, where we're going to be talking about some D&D uh, &D gaming, and if you listen close, there's a special request for major spoilerite listeners. So you're going to have to listen to find out what that's all about. Uh, Alrighty then. Jacking around out of the way. Ooh. It's time for news. and Time our... to spin the wheel of morality. Matthew, you want to run down, or how about Rodrigo? You want to run down our top three stories that we've picked to maybe discuss? I thought I was Rodrigo. Well, whoever. All right. No, you're Rodrigo. How about uh, that other Matthew guy? Quills. Quills. Quills Portaccio. Quills Portaccio. 
Seriously, that's that's really like which the I best believe may ever. be Portuguese for the cattle are dying. Um, okay, here are the uh, the potentials. Jackie Early Haley is Freddy Krueger. Controversial DCU cover. <gasps> Who are the all new, all deadly Dark X Men? You want to spin right. that thing, Rod, or uh, whoever you are there, Matthew? I am Rod. I am Rod Steven Rigo. Okay. I'm going to spin the wheel of morality and. I think we broke it. We landed on number two. Number two. Number two. Number two. Number two. Controversial number two. DCU cover this week. Uh, DCU's new blog site, The Source, and then of course later major spoilers posted. Uh, the tri-fold cover for the upcoming Green Lantern, or I'm sorry, Green Lantern Corps series that features all the lanterns duking it out in space. I thought it was a pretty kick-ass cover. In fact, it came in a large size that would make a perfect desktop. Only problem is someone pointed out, hey, uh, Star Sapphire is pretty much naked, and she got a big old star on her crotch. And this right. ignited a huge controversy among major spoilerites over on the website at majorspoilers.com. Right. About women's Some costumes and portrayals of women and men in comic books, stuff that we've kind of talked about before. Mm -hmm. But did anybody want to weigh in on that controversy? It's, controversy? It's it's, it's kind of late to... Uh, I spell theater with an R-E. It, it's kind of late for them to... For DC to go the Vampirella route, isn't it? Which well, is uh, yeah, which no, essentially it what it is. Like yeah, it's, yeah. you know, just like basically a chick wearing suspenders with a thong that yeah. has a little bat on it. Yeah, in this case, it's a star. Yep. Yeah. All right. Matthew? I think there were some good points made. And the question, really the, the, the question that kept coming up and the question that really I think is important to ask here is we know that there can be sexism in comics. Is putting a female character in that costume inherently sexist? Is putting Emma Frost in the costume that she wears inherently sexist? Is putting, well, and, uh, is putting the, the head of the, or um, what's her face when she was in the, um, gosh dang it, can't even think of the group from the X Men. Whenever it was the Dark Phoenix, the 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 club. What is their club? The Hellfire, called? The the Hellfire, Hellfire club. club. And she's wearing yeah. bondage leather. Is that bad idea? Well, is consider that power is giving... most of the members of the Hellfire Club. Like one of the members of the Hellfire Club basically never puts a shirt on and wears really tight pants, and he's right. a guy. Right. Right. So that's the, the Hellfire thing. Club. Just just take it. I think removes itself from the equation. It does putting Black Canary in fishnets change her her appearance or attitude or putting. Uh, Jessica Rabbit in a in a slinky low cut revealing dress. Jessica right. Rabbit is a joke. Does like putting, seriously, uh, she's actually a joke. Right, I know that. But I it's think still, it still is the same point as a lot of these other characters. I think the point to be made here is the fact that there are seven characters on the cover. Right now, of the seven characters, only two of them are actually Earthlings. Hal Jordan, the male Earthling, is fully covered in a black and green bodysuit. Right. Star Sapphire is naked. Right. The Red Lantern, Atrocitus, is an alien in a full red and green or red and black bodysuit. Right. The Blue Lantern, St. Walker, is an alien in a full black and blue bodysuit. The Yellow Lantern, Sinestro, once again, full yellow and black. The Agent Orange is wearing a full body black and yellow suit. The only other female character on the cover, Indigo, is wearing what appears to be a tube top and a loincloth. Right. So, I mean, it's not mm. as though people are taking things that far out of context to come to the realization that of these seven characters, the only ones that are hypersexualized are the ones that are feminine. And even the feminine aliens are 
really hypersexualized with an exposed midriff and lots of thighs. So, right. I mean, if you look at Atrocitus, I doubt that women are going to look at Atrocitus or Sinestro with his big rubbery David Niven gourd for a head. Or, you know, St. Walker, who looks apparently like that guy who used to assist Jabba the Hutt with the big, you know, thing coming off his neck. <laughs> Women aren't going to look at that and go, man, them sure are some attractive boys in armor. But we look at Indigo, who's obviously designed to be alien and somehow different. And yet her body is still essentially a human female body. Right. Yes, pale skin and a big rubbery head, but she's half naked. So I think the people who were offended certainly have every right to be offended. I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. I think that the discussion itself for a while went very well. Yeah. There was some finger pointing, there was some knuckle bashing. There was, you know, there was a point where it got a little personal, but there's nothing wrong with the discussion itself. And the the merits of the question is this sexist? You know, I think that's something that we can always ask ourselves safely and we we should inspire some healthy debate about because, you know, if you look at this cover, the evidence is right there. You can look at it. You can read it however you want. But the fact remains that Carol Ferris is basically like Witchblade covered in purple. That's what I was going to say. Just looks like a Witchblade instead of uh, instead of a Star Sapphire. Now, someone post- posted a link to a Star Sapphire from. The Justice League Unlimited series. I don't know if it was an updated version, but it had instead of the exposed skin, black. Mm-hmm. And I actually right. kind of dug that that huh. look. In fact, I've got the Star Sapphire action figure from JLU, which is essentially that same design. You know, if they're going with that whole black and colored motif, I don't see why they they don't do it. I mean, you can still have skin tight clothing, and really, if we're looking at this, these characters are all naked. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and you can just see like every, you said before, Rodrigo, you can see every last mu- muscle, which is not something that would be realistic in a costume. Granted, the men are all, uh, what, eunuchs or something? Because you don't see a banana hammock on any one of these characters. Hmm. Uh, banana hammock. Yes. Well, if, if you look <laughs> really closely, however, two of, them, two of them are very deliberately obscured right. in, the, in, the, groinal in the groinal region. region yeah. And if you look at Hal and Atrocitus, they're leaning at such an angle that nothing would be visible but anyway. I guarantee you, you're not going to see schlong outlines in, well, no. in the male costumes. But so well, it doesn't. Except it, for Citizen so the Steel. Question, so the question becomes, and even then he's going to get a, a little reduction thanks to editors. But the, the question is would it make a difference then if we covered the exposed areas of her skin and made it black? Would that be a big difference? Or would still be people be saying, oh my God, she's got a star on her crotch? People would still be saying she's got a star in her crotch, and I'll tell you why. Because she's got a star on her crotch. Well, yeah. Do you remember a couple of years ago a character called Freedom Ring that Marvel had running in their Marvel team-up series? Huh, onto you, Rodrigo? Mm-hmm. Relatively minor character. Robert Kirkman did the character, created him. He was a perfectly, you know, just this average guy who got awesome superpowers. Mm-hmm. And they happened to throw in, oh, yeah. you know, And it wasn't even brought out. It was something that... If you read it, you can infer that the character was a homosexual. Okay. Mm. It was not the point of the character. There wasn't a big North Star coming out scene. Freedom Ring died horribly hmm. because oh. Freedom Ring was designed by the writer to be a bad superhero who bought the farm because he was a bad superhero. By making him gay, yeah. right, by making him gay, there were questions of – are we gay bashing? You know, what are we saying about the fact that, you know, this second or third homosexual male superhero in the Marvel Universe 
was a horrible superhero and died. What are you saying about, you know, gay people? What are you saying about gay men in specific? Mm -hmm. And the answer is not really much. He's talking about Freedom Ring. Right. But because there are so few gay characters and because there are fewer female characters, the way the female characters are treated, women in refrigerators. Yeah. The way those characters are, you know, written, the way those characters become adjusted, however these things happen, it does make a difference because there are fewer of them and it feels like, granted, you're dealing with a lot of male readers and a lot of male creators. I won't even say a majority anymore. But the way these characters are treated is different because there are fewer of them. And when something bad happens or when something mm -hmm. hypersexualized like Carol Ferris's costume pops up, it's more noticeable because there isn't so much contrast in the range of characters. So again, I don't necessarily think that having her with with her balcony that you could do Shakespeare off hanging out like that is inherently completely sexist. But the people who want to see it as sexist and the people who want to look at it and go, why are there so many women dressed, you know, wearing only boogers of various colors? You know, if you took this they have back, they have a decent point. Yeah. If you took this back to the 1940s, though, and you're painting pinups on the side of airplanes. At that time, a lot of those clothing that they're wearing in those pinups is revealing, mm -hmm. right? So I think that when we talk about art and women, at some point you're always going to get down to this sexualized, hypersexualized interpretation of art. You know, and I, you know, and not that that I, may not I necessarily think... be a bad thing, but it may, no. it appeals to a certain audience, and may not appeal to uh, other audiences. And, and, and art I'm... reflects its creator and the audience that it's intended to. Yeah, Obviously, I'm... that was art. Made for you know by men for men, right? So it, it's up there. By uh, Bennett. Yep. <laughs> and I'm sure Mona Lisa was probably showing a little bit too much forehead yep. back in the day. So uh, if you would like to weigh in on this cost costume controversy or controversy, uh, head over or to the controversy major... like normal people say. <laughs> head over to the yes. majorspoilers.com website. Uh, depends on when you listen to it. Just do a search for Bennis B E N E S cover, and you will find it. And then you can weigh in with everyone else. Uh, something else that we kind of rolled out this last week that I kind of wanted to make sure that you were aware of. Uh, major spoilers aware. merchandise. Major spoilers t-shirts! <laughs> major spoilers t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Yes, we have launched our first <laughs> line of... <laughs> we have launched our first line of t-shirts. The first design is out couple of different flavors. You got a heavy t-shirt. Uh, this is one that I think is going to last a lot longer than the lightweight t-shirt. There's a slight difference of about four bucks, I think, on those mm -hmm. two t-shirts designs. And then there's one for the much larger, larger Major Spoilers fan. Uh, and they all say F continuity. That's one. That's a phrase that we've been throwing and about a lot lately on the website and on the show. Oh, for several months. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just said, hey, why don't we just throw that up onto a T-shirt design and see what <laughs> everybody thinks about it. If you would like to help out Major Spoilers, we do get a small portion of that fee. And believe me, it's really small. Uh, but if you like that design, we, we think that, uh, that you might uh, enjoy wearing it around at your next comic book convention. We've also got one for the ladies. So if, there's our, if there are ladies listening... Uh, you can also get yourself a T-shirt. Here's a little something yes, for the ladies. Yes, a little something for the ladies. And we have something for the chillins <laughs> out there in the audience, right? 
some of you may remember the first time that we had a little bit of art, original art, accompany the, the podcast was this little kid character of major spoilers uh, drawn by D- Dante. Yes. Okay? And the we serious said, Dante. The serious Dante. Always sketching and drawing for every show. And we thought, hey, wouldn't this be a great little kid's character? So we slapped it onto a, a kid-sized T-shirt. You can get these in a variety of colors. And you can get one for your kid, and your kid can run around in it. Uh, we got one for Matthew's daughter. And she thinks it's a, it's, it's the best thing ever. Does she like it? She's wearing it all she, the time? Yeah, she wears it as a nightgown because it's huge. Oh, but. okay. <laughs> got it a little bit too big for her. I thought you said a medium. That's all right. She'll grow into it. Oh, okay. Trust me. All She's right. like four feet tall now. And Matthew, you've got uh, one of the newer shirts as well. Good quality I shirt. I do. Yeah, actually, I wore it to work the other day and had a lot of people asking me why I had a website on my back. There you go. That's so what we do. If you would, please, check it out. There's right there on the right side of the Major Spoilers website. You'll see it. It's called Major Spoilers Merch, and you will see more T-shirts and some other things, nudge, yep. nudge, wink, wink, in the very near future. Now, let me point out one thing to those of you who are, as we like to refer to ourselves, gravitationally exceptional. <laughs> These shirts are, by design, kid-tested and Matthew-approved. So you can get shirts up to the size of Matthew. Now, if you outweigh Matthew, I apologize for the inconvenience. Are there any other issues I can resolve for you this afternoon? And unfortunately, that one size only comes in white, which is kind of the big disappointment that I have well, with our, our manufacturer. One of the th- one of the ah, ah, wow, that was close. A great disappointment in terms of shirt purchasing. Yeah, for those of us who are gravitationally enhanced, comes in the fact that you get a lot of white shirts. We do have at least one person who I know who has ordered, and as soon as you get that T-shirt in, please contact me, and we might have something special for you. Ooh, for buying the first T-shirt, for buying the first T-shirt, you get the T-shirt you bought. You get a free T-shirt. Two of them, in fact. You get our full guarantee. If it gets torn in half, you get to keep both halves. All right, let's dive into the major spoilers mailbag for the week. That was my dive. Okay, Rodrigo, what do we come up with this week? Steven and Co. Who's Co? Are you kicking me out again? (laughs) Are you Co or am I Co? I don't know. Maybe maybe Dante is Co. Steven and Company. As you probably know, I'm a big fan of the show. Please keep it up. I got it up all the time. I got to admit. <laughs> Where do you think we got the idea for Poll of the Week? Uh, <laughs> I got to admit, in the busy life I lead, the hour and a half I give myself each week to listen to the podcast is invaluable me time and the highlight of my week. Okay. Anyway, a couple we of things I want to ask. We love you too, man. I thought it was an early April Fool's joke, but the leaked Wolverine print on the net. Oh, uh, yeah, it kind of jumps. Yeah. What What are your options? What are your opinions of such a thing? I realize for legal reasons you probably can't, shouldn't talk of a crap. Now we're in trouble. But will it be to the detriment of the film's success? Aren't geeks and nerds supposed to revel in the alternative and semi-illegal by watching advanced and/or leaked footage? It's like a badge of honor amongst other fans to say you saw it first. Isn't that what the fanboys film glorifies? Anyway, just curious. All right, thanks for your time, Hercules in New York. Wait, right, Hercules. Isn't that guy Australian? I, I could have so. done yes. this whole thing in an Australian accent. Really? That would have been something uh, to hear. Well, I could have done it in an atrocious Australian accent. Ah, geeks and nerds supposed to revel in the alternative. Okay. You die. All right. Which is so ironic here's, here's I believe my take. Hugh Jackson Wallaby, is, Wombat, Kangaroo, Kookaburra. <laughs> Oh, I am Wolverine. I realize there are legal reasons you probably can't or shouldn't talk about it. No, we can talk about it all we want. 
Uh, will it be a detriment to the film's success? I do think so, especially with all these people who are going out there and spouting out early reviews, many of them negative because there's green screen, there's wire in there, there's special effects that aren't in there, there's footage that has been reshot to edit into the story to change certain and, and, and people lines. And people are thinking that this is the finished product. Exactly. Hmm. And that can be actually a bad thing. Now, I know some of our listeners have downloaded this and admitted that they've downloaded and watched the film, and they don't think it's that great. And I think that that really hurts the film's success. Uh, let's see. Aren't geeks and nerds supposed to revel in the alternative and semi-illegal by watching advanced and or leaked footage? I suppose some might. But if you are a true well, geek or nerd who wants to revel in the success of comic books turned to film, yeah, you, don't... you would go and see. You would wait. You'd just say, hey, look, man, I know Star Wars is going to be this big thing. I know that there's a copy sitting right there, but I'm going to wait well, and go and do it. There, there's definitely right. that whole, like, I was the first kid on my block to see it right. thing. And, right. and, that's, and that's legitimate. But doing it this way, I mean, you shouldn't be – you shouldn't feel proud because you downloaded it illegally. Right. Uh, you, you shouldn't – if if nobody goes to see this movie, you're not gonna get any more Wolverine movies. If right. you're the biggest Wolverine fan, you're not gonna get a second Wolverine movie because everybody saw it illegally. And uh, there's a good chance that it could affect Marvel or 20th Century Fox, mm-hmm. and it would prevent them from making any other future X Men movies. All of course, there is a good cause maybe for not making any more X Men movies. But you're not gonna see uh, Magneto the early years. Right. You're not gonna see uh, Cyclops the the early years. Why? Would you do if I sang <laughs> uh, So I, you know, if the movie had already been out, if it's already on DVD, I probably wouldn't make a big deal, if, a big stink about it if people were illegally downloading it. Mm-hmm. That's a problem that is always facing stuff. But to intentionally download something that isn't finished does a disservice to all of the people who went and made the movie. You're essentially slapping them in the face and saying, your work doesn't mean crap to me. We don't honor or respect your craft. Mm -hmm. And the three of us coming from a film or television background might have a big problem with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a problem with it on a very simple level. Yes. If I have created a piece of art, fiction, whatever, Mm -hmm. and finished it, finalized it, and put it out there, and you steal it after I have released it in general thing and gotten, you know, at least a portion of the money that I'm going to get, gotten the normal views, that's one thing. This is described as a work print that somebody stole. Right. Physically stole before its release and then illegally uploaded. And I think that does make a difference. Yeah. I mean, it's not the same as like, we're not talking about screen caps from behind the set or, you know, a picture of, say, Megan Fox in her bathrobe. We're not talking about something sneaked out. Right. We're talking about somebody stealing these people's work, an unfinished version of these people's work, and then putting it up for display, for comment, before the actual finished work is available. That Mm -hmm. makes a difference to me. Well, and then I just have an issue with, you know, for the most part, piracy in general – I mean, you can go back as far as Yarr. Thomas Edison, who was one of the very first pirates Yarr. stealing from the Earth to the Moon for from the, the from the Lumiere brothers. Rasputin's ghost is that also he stole that one? Well, he used Rasputin's ghost to try to attack Atomic Robo. <laughs> uh, I'd forgotten about that, but you know, he was one of the first pirates of movies, stealing mm-hmm. the print from France and bringing it here to the United Yarr. States and making all that money off of it, so that when they came to uh, show it in the U.S., they were like, "This has been out for months now. We're yeah. not going to show it." He never got any money from it. So I do have a problem with that. But yeah, I guess, you know, if you are a true fan of comics, you would probably avoid it. Now, again, if the movie had already been out and already had all the reviews and, you know, I probably wouldn't be making such a stink over it. 
because I right. do realize that that happens. But in this case, I have to say, bad move. And I know some of our major spoilers readers have downloaded and, and viewed the illegal copy. I think uh, I saw today that there were over one million downloads of this movie illegally. Mm-hmm. That means that there's one million people who are not going to go see that movie. And quite frankly, from the trailers that I have seen, one million people may be all that actually go to see that movie. So yeah. they could have just killed that movie before it even got to the uh, to the screens. I know that there are some people out there that are saying, well, for what Fox did to Watchmen, they deserve what they got. Ugh. I don't think that's a good argument. Uh, absolutely not. That's not. It's... Uh... I mean, first off, there's plenty of people who actually like the Watchmen. Movie. Right. Right. Second, uh, it's 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 a weak argument. It's saying I want this. I want to watch this movie. So um, uh, they won't Here's release. They won't release the, fa- the 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 Batman cartoon. Right. On DVD. Right. Grr, I'm gonna steal this movie and watch it because I want to. Right. Because I want to. It's it's people who want to do this because they want to do it and finding exactly. some. I mean, the excuses are out there. We do some rationalization for their actions. Most importantly, it's stupid and it's cliche. And my grandmother said this when I was growing up. Two wrongs do not make a right, even if three lefts might. And most importantly, two rights once made an airplane. It's still a crap argument. Now, we run some advanced reviews up on the major spoiler site. You might be saying, well, Stephen, isn't (gasps) that the same thing? No, it's not, because we are looking at a finished product, number one. And number two, we do have permission from the people that are giving us these titles to review it early. The the publishers themselves send those titles. Yeah, exactly. So they're saying if you want to review it early, go right ahead. They do ask that we try to keep some of the spoilers to a minimum, Mm -hmm. but we still, if you read the Hexed review, which I forgot didn't come out. minor spoilers. Yeah, we do put some minor spoilers in there, but we don't give away the whole ending. (laughs) Minor spoilers. So a division of major spoilers. It's certainly something that is going to spawn more discussion in the future. Company. But I would encourage people if you if someone says, "Hey man, you want to come over and uh, watch this uh, illegal Wolverine?" Eh, just maybe say, "Nah, man, I'm going to wait and see it in the theater." Yep. My mom told me that if you watch an illegal Wolverine, you go blind. Ah! Uh, so thank you, Hercules, for writing in. And remember, listeners, if you have a question or comment about the show, all you have to do is drop us an email at podcast at majorspoilers dot com. Or call us on the hotline, Matthew, at 785-727-1939, the Major Spoilers Hotline. Do you think they call him Hercules in New York because his real name is Steve Reeves? (laughs) Uh, Please, close your legs. Uh, These are the kind of ideas that kept me out of the really good schools. And hey, it's time for... I was going to ask Rodrigo if he got that, that reference. Reviews. I've stopped asking Rodrigo thought, if he gets my jokes. I thought Hercules he chuckles politely. Arnold, That's the best I can. Was Arnold expect. Schwarzenegger? <laughs> was Steve it? Reeves was an actor in the 1950s, yeah. known mostly for playing Hercules. Hercules. Yeah. Wait, a former bodybuilder, Reeves was a terrible I've, I've actor, and in fact color. had most had of his beard, voiceover. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, that guy basically looked like the the comic book Hercules, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. I, I've actually seen some of those yeah, movies. On I just didn't know the actor. Yeah. Seen that, yeah. No, I've actually seen the movies. Out of the comic book Hercules looks like that guy. Yeah, that, well, that's because what I Because the saying. movie came mm-hmm. before that. Don't confuse uh, Steve Reeves with George Reeves, right. who was Superman. Or Christopher, or Christopher Reeves. Reeves. Christopher Reeves, was also Superman. Or the Reeve. Sharif, who don't like it. <laughs> right. Or bringing in the, the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, <laughs> yeah. which is entirely. Oh, speaking of rocking the Casbah, let's uh, let's talk about some reviews. <laughs> Why are we locking the cash box? Are there thieves about? Stop the cash box. Apparently, because they're going to see Wolverine and downloading it early. Yeah. How dare they? Yeah. Let's, uh, well, let's, let's tell some internet. tales. Let's punish them with us talking. Internet pirates. Yes. Yar zero one zero. <laughs> 
Shiver me timbers. I'm going to seize your HTML, yeah. Shiver me modem. I will seize your client. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> uh, Astonishing Tales number three. Rodrigo, what do you got for us? Long John Cadmium, yar. Astonishing Tales number three. This is another of uh, Marvel's um, sort of like showcase type um, comics. Um, I think they basically relaunch something like Astonishing Tales every couple months. Like, oh yeah, um, Dead of Night was kind of similar. I mean, this is straight up, straight up superhero stuff. Although Dead of Night very quickly became superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. It started out creepy and then was like man thing fighting, you know, actual like supervillains and stuff like that. Anyway, um, Astonishing Tales number three. They it contains a story of Wolverine and Punisher, Iron Man twenty twenty, mm-hmm. Mojo World. And Spider Woman. Are these so, like what if stories? No, I don't know. It's that an they're... anthology in the Marvel modern Marvel universe, oh, mostly. Okay. Yeah, I I don't think they're. I mean, you could. They're probably if thrown into question, this will probably be thrown out of canon first. Okay. But I I, I think they're you know they happen within the current Marvel universe, except probably for Iron Man twenty twenty. Um, which happens in the future. Which happens in the future. And we see it really well. Um, the first story, Wolverine and Punisher, it's um, actually uh, pen or drawn by Kenneth Rockefort, who is uh, the guy who did uh, Smoke Lady, Madame Mirage. Kenneth oh, Rockefort, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, wasn't yeah. he the next yeah, door neighbor Mirage. of the Clampets on the Beverly yes. Hillbillies? Yes. Here's the thing that I found real interesting. If you look at the, 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 the credits, Bloodlines, Part 3, C.B. Sibolsky Writer, art by Top Cow Productions... Yeah, that's interesting. They've been they have, they're they're contracting out their art to Top Cow, which is really interesting. Um and that's about all that's interesting about it. No, um there's uh some attractive ladies that'll make you throw into question sexism in comics. <laughs> um but other than that, it's a quick story in which Wolverine and the Punisher fight some guys. They fight a dinosaur at the beginning. Right. And then get patched up by sexy ladies. Awesome. Um, mm. the next one, Iron Man 2020, makes no sense. It's about a guy named Arno Stark, who I'm guessing must be Tony Stark's son, clone, great grandson, great grandson. Okay. Um, and and has a, a hilarious exchange because um, they're they're in this like flying helicarrier, and essentially these pirates start these uh pirate guys start shooting them, and he goes, "Who the blazes are you?" And the guy's like, you can call, you can address me as Commodore Q. And then they, you know, continue having this exchange. Um, and then uh, later on, he's uh, talking about it and it's like, uh, let's see. Da-da-da-da-da. Don't be an idiot, Captain. The instant the last passenger leaves his ship, Q is going to blow us clean out of the sky. The man hates me for reasons I find unfathomable. But unfortunately for all of us, I am much better liar than he is. I'm pretty sure they introduced he was introduced to him the previous page. Like I'm not sure how he got all that reasons unfathomable hatred. It's just it seems poorly written, except that there's like Fida's like Fida's driving Iron Man suits, which is kind of cool. The next one is Bobby and Sam in Mojo World, um, (laughs) which I believe is um, Sunspot, Sunspot, and Cannonball, and Cannonball. Um, making a movie in Mojo World about the American Civil War, starring the uh, um, the Marvel superheroes. It's 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 not funny. 
it really but, kind of isn't maybe funny. They're, and that's, but they're not, and I, that's clearly what they were going for. But Rodrigo, the name of the book isn't Tales to Amuse. Right. It's called Astonishing Tales. I, and and I suppose I was astonishing, <laughs> astonished as, at how unfunny this was. <laughs> There's a couple of interesting side gags, but seriously, it's, it's just not that good. And then the last story is uh, Spider-Woman fighting vampires, which is cool. Um... There's a lot of good art, except for the Mojo World. All the art is between good and excellent. Um, and just for that, because, you know, if you just pick this up, you're going to get only one story picking up at the beginning. So you'll just get dropped into, you know, who knows what the crap is going on. Um, actually, no. Uh, two of these stories are, you can you can jump in because two of them are one shots. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give this uh, three and a half slices of meatloaf. It's pretty solid. Wow. Cool. I need I need to make a couple of historical references for the benefit of the young people. Okay. <laughs> Iron Man twenty twenty is a, a long established, extremely minor Marvel character dating back to the nineteen eighty four Machine Man limited series. Hmm. So the fact that he's in the year twenty twenty makes a lot more sense when you think that he was created thirty six years ago or twenty right. odd years ago. Right. When the year twenty twenty was far off. And not like ten years from now. That's that's what I was thinking. It was like it's his grandson. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's his, it's his. It was his grandson originally. Uh, he actually teamed up with Man of Menace to fight Machine Man. It's you know, it's a good story. You should pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, the art on the Sam and Bobby in the Mojo World is Bill Senkovich, the classic New Mutants artist. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to love it, but I look at it and I go, oh, cool. This is like it's like flashbacky. So I really enjoyed the art on that particular piece by Bill Sankovich. For those of you out there who have no idea how is to pronounce a name, that has that. I believe it's Senkovich. Saint Cabbage is that a prison somewhere? What would that be in Spanish? It's right near Saint Shark. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right. I believe in in in, Fr- in Spanish that would be San Caballo. <laughs> All right. Uh, that was from Marvel Three Meatloaf Slices. This week I took a look at the Mighty Number no. Three. From DC Comics, and this is actually not a story set in the Prime DCU. This is, takes place in a world where there's only one superhero called Alpha One. Okay, he's the most powerful being on the face of the planet, aka Superman, aka Prime, aka whatever you want to call it. Uh, and he has a whole team of people that surround him to basically clean up for all of his stuff that he does and do all of his PR and all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, his current or his previous boss died under mysterious circumstances, although there are indications that Alpha One may be behind the death. Dun-dun-dun. So he's got a new guy called Gabriel Cole, who has taken over the command of a sanctioned Omega. Again, Captain or uh, Alpha One comes in and, and does his stuff, and then Sanction Omega comes up at the end to clean everything up. up. Right? So throughout this issue, now Cole, uh, Gabriel Cole, has a wife, Janet, and they have a pretty good relationship, and there's some been to some discussion in the first and second issue about uh, should Cole take over this this job? Should he be the the main guy? And will this affect their relationship because everyone else who's been in this position has died in the past? And there are some real indications here. I don't know passive aggressive tendencies where Alpha One acts like he wants to be Gabriel's best friend, wants to hang around. Hey, can we let's go to the bar together? And while they're at the bar, he's like, Hey, would you like to go out? And and do something, and Gabriel's like, no, tonight's movie night with the wife. As soon as she closes up the bar, we're going to go do this. And he's like, 
well, I would like to take you to the home base. You're you would be the only person who's ever seen my Fortress of Solitude, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but it's not called the Fortress of Solitude. That instantly changes Gabriel's mind, and he goes off, you know, essentially drops his wife for the evening and says, "See you, honey. Uh, see you soon." And then the next night, while they're having a conversation at dinner, um, Alpha One comes busting right through their their window and says, "Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I thought there was a disturbance here, uh, Gabriel. You set off your little." Uh, Communicator, communicator watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, this in this case, it's a burned letter A right into the uh, palm of the hand. Uh. And, of course, no, no, there's nothing going on here. Hmm, my mistake, there must be a problem. But because everyone saw Alpha 1 crash through the window, word gets out that it may be a domestic dispute. Uh. So it's like Alpha 1 is trying to break up the marriage nice. and do some very Alpha nefarious— Alpha 1 is jealous. Uh, he might be. He may have a man crush on Gabriel. Fatal superpowered attraction. And, well, that's what I think it's going to turn out to be, something like a fatal attraction-type story. And it's really weird to see this happen. Now, granted, we have just seen Invincible. We have just seen The Boys. We have just, uh, not Invincible, um, Irredeemable Mm -hmm. from uh, Boom Studios. All these, let's take the hero and kind of turn them into the villain kind of storyline. And I think that's what we're, I mean, definitely that's what we're seeing in The Mighty. And issue number three isn't bad. It's uh, written by uh, Peter Tomasi and uh, Keith uh, Champagne. Um, And so I think, you know, they do a fairly good job of telling a story and and revealing things maybe a little bit too slowly. I can't remember if this is a – is this a miniseries or is this an ongoing? I believe it's an ongoing. That's what I was going to say. I think it's an ongoing. But it's kind of moving rather slowly right now to where next issue is going to be, I think, further padding. Then issue five will be the – the big reveal, and then issue six will be the fast cleanup mm-hmm. so that they can package it for the trade. Uh, so there is some kind of dragging here, but it is kind of interesting to see this these slight things that Alpha One is doing to kind of break up the relationship between Gabriel and his wife, uh, Janet. So I found it interesting. I'm probably going to give it three and a half slices of meatloaf um, nice. in this case. It's good. It's just not fantastic good. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in reading it, and unfortunately I did not for whatever reason, get issue two. So I went from issue one to issue three, and it's still easy enough to follow the story, to know what's going on. Mm. So that's kind of a plus uh, for the uh, for the issue right there. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, Matthew, what do you got for us? I have one of the awesome Deconstructed Avengers books, to the point where one storyline is actually now taking six monthly titles to tell. Whoa. New Avengers, The Reunion, part two of four. I believe uh, this is the second issue, thus the part two. And this is the story of Hawkeye and his wife Mockingbird. Although Hawkeye is now Ronan, and as I pointed out during my Dark Avengers review, he's actually the second Ronan, but technically he's the first of three Hawkeyes, while also having been the second Goliath. We'll go off on that tangent later. In the first issue, Mockingbird returns from the dead. Well, has just returned from the dead in the pages of Secret Invasion. She's acting really weird. He traces her, tracks her down, and finds out that she has a series of secret hidden shield safe houses. Now, for those of you who read Secret Warriors, you can see where my problem comes in right here. But in these safe houses, she's actually creating a network of the remaining shield agents who were abducted to the Skrull planet and held there. Right. This issue does answer an important question, that question being, when was Mockingbird taken? Right, because she died, and then... 
She died, yeah, in New of or excuse me, West Coast Avengers number one hundred, like fifteen years ago, right? And was brought back in Secret Invasion, indicating that she was at some point replaced by a scroll. But when she died, she didn't turn into a scroll. No, she was vaporized. Oh, okay. Well, that explains that then. There you have it. So, is there any F um, continuity stuff going on here or not? Well, yes and no. We start the issue with a fist fight because, la excuse me, at the end of last issue, Hawkeye captured her with a, a net arrow, which is old school. Yeah. And basically called in the Avengers. He fights her. They fight. They fight. They fight. They fight. They fight. Fight, 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 fight. The itching, The Hawkeye and Mockingbird oh, show. And he convinces her to let him assist her. So they go off on her secret, super secret mission. She immediately creates them a cover. In her safe house, she has enough money to do whatever she needs to do. So they go off across country. And it's really interesting to see Hawkeye completely out of his element. Mockingbird is a very good intelligence agent. So she's helping them create a cover. She's trying to you know, bring her husband along like he's the slow child. They end up... You know, going wherever they're going, ending up in Spain. They have a moment where they're trying to figure out how they're going to attack the enemy. And something is revealed back in West Coast Avengers. Mockingbird had asked for a divorce. Uh -huh. Now, Haw Hawkeye has assumed that this was the scroll. When in fact, Mockingbird was replaced immediately after asking oh, for a divorce. Hey, you know and what? the scroll, the scroll being willing to reunite with him, was actually not his wife at all. Wow! You know, this week's episode of Heroes follows almost that exact same storyline. <laughs> wow! Where Siler takes the place of uh, uh, cheerleader? No, no, yeah, the so cheerleader's so. dad. Yeah, the, the, the cheerleader's one. mom. Yeah. And uh, goes to uh, horn rim glasses guy and says she wants a divorce, but it's really not her. It's Siler. In disguise. Is it or is it? Yeah. See. It? Uh huh. Yeah. So what happens then? Certainly, he's got to deal with this. Hawkeye, right. Ron, the, and uh, Goliath have to deal with this. The issue actually ends with her saying, "I had come back. I was coming back when they replaced me to tell you it was over." I filed divorce papers. I'm not your wife anymore. Dun, dun, oh, really? Dun. So that's interesting. Then. No. Yeah, the divorce papers were legal. Well, it's even more interesting that uh, she still feels that way about not wanting to be away from him, even though, you know, he mm -hmm. broke down when she died. Well, and this issue does underline the biggest problem with the secret invasion resolution is that the scrolls have had to have been working years, years in advance. And at the point in time that Mockingbird was replaced in roughly 94, there was no Skrull Empire. Yeah, The Skrull Empire, the whole planet had been destroyed and eaten by Galactus, and the few Skrulls out there were unable to shapeshift. They were locked in their normal human forms. And yes, I know how much of a geek this makes me sound like. Yeah. But at this point in time, there weren't any shapeshifting Skrulls. Mm -hmm. So... For this to have taken place at that time, you know, we've basically retconned away a couple of stories, which it doesn't necessarily bother me. But essentially, we're looking at 15 years ago, our time, that Hawkeye and Mockingbird are talking about as though it was maybe three months ago. So the time compression factor, which is always an issue in Marvel Comics yeah. and indeed with any major comics company, has been brought to the forefront in a way that's a little disturbing. 
The art is really, really nice in this issue. I like it. It's not super realistic. It's realistic enough that you have obvious expression. You have clear characterization going on in the art. But it's got kind of a, a stylization to it, not really a manga sort of feel. It reminds me of early episodes or issues of the Runaways mm, series, mm -hmm. where it's you know uh, it's slightly stylized. Jim McCann, who handled the scripting, the name sounds familiar, although I may be thinking of Tom McCann and thinking of his shoes. Jim McCann, <laughs> the uh, writer of uh, the reunion, really nails Hawkeye, and his Mockingbird is just awesome i love the capability of the character i love the fact that she's thrown into a completely alien situation and she's forced to rely on you know her own resourcefulness and it, it's not quite to the point of batman can do anything given 15 minutes to prepare but it's definitely a moment that really works and, and it strengthens her character overall it makes me wonder where this is going to go because as we know they seem to be happily a couple right in in New Avengers, at least, you know, one presumes that because she's wearing her old costume in that book, that this book has to take place after that. Mm -hmm. But again, it is Marvel, and time frames are always a factor. So, heck, for all we know, it could be Tony Stark's grandson from nine years in the future, what? back from the dead. So Overall, though, I like the issue. I would have to give it three slices of meatloaf. It's very strong. It's got good art. The story is nicely handled. The characters are nicely handled. There are some questions about the when, the where, the who, the what, the WTFs. Yeah. But but they're not crippling to the story. Yeah, they're a factor. And yeah, the characterization of Hawkeye and Mockingbird is completely different than it is in the, the core New Avengers title. So that definitely brings me down maybe a half a star or so. But it's a very strong book. I got to say, I love the cover. And... If this is what they want to do with Mockingbird, I kind of like the fact that she's back so long as she doesn't blend back into the woodwork at the end of the series or even worse, become a walking Batman cliche and blonde wig, you know? Cool. All right. That is uh, our reviews for this week for the show. If you want to read more reviews, certainly you want to head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. We have new reviews going up almost every day, except for on Tuesdays generally, because that's the day you're getting well, three reviews right here on the show. And also, we type slowly. But once the reviews are over, we turn slowly, step, step by, by step. step, inch by inch. Do you know that, that routine? Niagara Falls! <laughs> Do you know that routine? Nope. All right. It's time for the major spoilers poll of the week, 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 week. Poll. Poll of the week. week. The poll of the week. The poll of the week. La, 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 la. Matthew is high on something. What are we even doing? This I'm doing poll of the week. The stretchy, stretchy edition. Air. The stretchy, stretchy. Canned air. Wow, that thing just flew right across the room. That was awesome. I don't know what it anyway. did, but it sure sounded bad. You know how you have canned air and it's got a little straw in it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes if you push the button, the little straw goes flying across the room. It's like when a tornado like runs a straw through a thing. You know what a I think I just is. embedded it in my wife's head. <laughs> this time around, the battle of the pliable people. You stretch them out and they'll return to their natural shape. I wonder what happens if you stick them on the monthly comics. 
Because I always used to use silly putty and like make a reverse oh, yeah. version of Mary Worth and then stretch her face on that. Yeah. Point. Like silly putty went from a nice flesh color to a nice dark, gritty, nasty gray. Yeah. I found it interesting that silly putty was actually created for a military application. Oh, awesome. That way you could sneak into China and make backwards copies of all their comic strips for intelligence purposes. But <laughs> this week, the poll of the week returns to the ring with another battle of the big two, the major super companies in this corner. Standing six foot four and or up to two miles tall. His brain is the biggest power he has, and for some reason he has a really hot wife. Read Nathaniel Richards, Mr. Fantastic. And no ego problems there picking a name, I might add. And his opponent, from the pages of Flash Comics, the ductile detective, the man who has the most disgusting power signature ever. You ever watch his nose? It just does a blah, blah, blah. It's creepy. Yeah. The elongated I, man. I hear and he you does know, that I, for a fact. I always used to say elongated when I was a kid. Nice. The elongated man. And I want to say that now because it's a funnier word. The Justice League of America versus the Fantastic Four. Who wins the battle of the stretch? Steven. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Ralph because um, he's a true detective. Not a guy that says, hmm, there's a problem that needs to be solved. Let me whip up a magical uh, mystical device out of my infinite wisdom brain and solve all our problems. Biff, bam, boom. I wish I had an infinite wisdom brain. <laughs> Don't I wish we I had all. a Biff Bam Boom. <laughs> How about you, Rodrigo? Who are you leaning for? I, I did some of that Biff Bam Boom. Um, I'd probably go with Mr. Fantastic, um, on account of the fact that uh he ha he just had the stones to call himself Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, that's true. It's like what do you do? You're like super strong or well, something? It's like, dude, I stretch real far. It's like well, so that's I guess that's kind of that's, fantastical, yeah. man. And you are, you know, as the elder statesman of the Fantastic Four, you got to pick his name. Yeah. You know, See, Johnny's think, throne was I probably like, I want to be Inferno. He's like, no, you're the Human Torch. I want to be Rockman. No, sorry. Uh, there's a video game that already took called that, so uh, you'll be the thing. I want to be the hot. I, I want to be hot Mrs. Richards. You are uh, Invisi Girl. But Shut don't up. I even Turn invisible. Uh, Go okay. away. Uh, women are not allowed to. W women better not heard, but wait. I, seen but not heard. But I love you, Reed. I guess it's the opposite with her. Yeah. She gets to nag invisibly at him. <laughs> so she's heard but not seen. Yep. That's... See, and the, the, the Mr. Fantastic point does a couple of things. Someone had once hypothesized, it may have been my friend Dusty, that Reed Richards' true power is stretching his brain to give him all these powers. Ah. And that by changing and stretching the neurons and the pathways in his brain, that's why he has such you know, bizarre abilities and the things that he comes up with and the proto fuso 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 mm -hmm. which is an interesting take. Uh, Ralph Dibney, on the other hand, was one of the neatest DC heroes forever in that he never had a secret identity. Right. He went public in like 1961. Did he go public he was always... Wally West? Oh, yeah. Long before okay. Wally West. Ralph went public back in Detective Comics, oh, I okay. think. All right. But Ralph was public way back in the 60s on Flash and... Ralph loved the limelight, and he and his wife were all about, you know, being famous and having fun and solving, you know, murders, which eventually became very ironic and horrific. Yeah, but we'll get to that in we'll, just a moment. We'll get to that in a few <laughs> minutes. But I think that if I had to choose, 
I had to look at the at the stretchy people and say who's the best, I'm going to vote with Plastic Man. Yeah, no, that's not an answer. Um, well, no, it is my answer. My answer is Plastic but, Man. But here's here's the interesting thing: uh, Elongated Man, no real secret identity. Right. Mister Fantastic, no real secret identity. Plastic Man, mm-hmm. not no not really secret identity. I mean, because he was, he's a criminal. Yeah, he was a criminal. And then, you know, everybody, I mean, I, I've seen people throughout the, the stuff that I've seen him in call him Eel, which was like his little nickname right. from back in the day. So it's funny that none of these stretchy guys who were all, uh, you know, conceptualized by different companies and different people, right? Yeah. And sort of right. roughly around the same time, they're not... Um, I don't know when plastic. They're not man. obvious copies of each other necessarily. Right. Plastic Man. Plastic Man came first mm-hmm. in forty-one. Okay. And Elongated Man in like fifty-nine or sixty, and then Reed in sixty-one, I believe. Okay. Right. It, it's just interesting that I mean, it doesn't feel to me like they are necessarily obvious copies of each other, and they've they've certainly developed in different ways. But it's kind of interesting that none of them really have a secret identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners say, one uh, Adam says, Ralph all the way, you don't see alternate universe versions of Ralph infecting loved ones with a zombie virus or creating super prisons for heroes or being some super smart D-bag. Ralph is a really smart everyman, and that's why we love him. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I like this answer from Rico. He says, Mr. Fantastic, because I can't even think of Ralph without feeling sad. Oh. And it's interesting that up that on the Major Spoilers question. website, a lot of people are are commenting about Ralph and why they think Ralph is the better character over Reed. Uh, but in a fight, campaigner says Reed would probably win because he is significantly smarter and has access to high-tech weaponry, why Ralph does not physically. Uh, they most likely possess the exact same power level. Still, I voted for Elongated Man because the Fantastic Four never did anything for me, and I like Ralph, informally known as the Justice League. And then mm-hmm. Randall W. being the smartass, I vote for Max. Well, Max Mercury. I don't know who Kira is. Nah. Uh, if you would like to vote, we have how many now, Matthew? <laughs> I'm showing 424 votes with 67% leaning towards Reed, Mr. Fantastic Richards, and 33% of the vote with Ralph, Elongated Man, Dibney. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though, that nobody really points out? What's that? They both have really hot wives who seem really, really happy. Yep. The wives seem and- seem happy? The wives generally tend to seem happy, but and thought, uh, Sue comes back to read no matter what stupid thing he say, does. I which she makes left him recently. Are they still split but, up at the end of? Uh... No, they're back. Oh, they're well, back. That didn't but last very long. It 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 it, it does beg the 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 Banky Edwards question. Yep, it sure does. What what is he stretching? Well, that's, that's that well, makes her so very Mr. very Fantastic. happy. Maybe maybe he's not the one that came up with the nickname. <laughs> Maybe she calls him Mr. Fantastic. Yep. That could be a good I, point. I don't know. I feel bad about Sue and Ralph. You know, they are, you know, this uh this crime solving couple that uh are the Mary Tyler Moore and uh, Dick Van Dyke of, of comic books. The mm. uh the um what what is the the heart to heart, not Nick, necessarily the Nick heart and to Nora. heart. Yeah, the Nick Nick and Nora of, of comic books. It's unfortunately that Sue had to meet her end in such a crappy way. Which brings us to our our uh, trade that we're reading this week. Uh, Major spoilers trade week 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 week. Identity crisis by Brad Meltzer. Mm. And I reread this again last night. It's been many years since I've read it. I remember the first time I read it, just a general overall reaction. Man, especially the first issue, and then what is it, issue five? Man, both of those hit right. me in the gut really hard. Mm. I mean. 
Yeah, Ralph, is, I think probably most listeners, I, I'm not going to say everyone, Matthew, but most of our listeners, I would guess, know Ralph and Sue from Justice League Europe and Justice League International. I would agree. Uh, most of them probably don't go back to the satellite era, Justice League. Very few. And probably even fewer still go back to Detective Comics days. So, yeah, not even I go back that far. Uh, so some people probably have very little knowledge, and I think somebody pointed that out in the poll, that some people have very little knowledge of who Ralph and Sue are, but you do see them in the background in a lot of stories. And in this issue, in the first issue especially, where we discover that Sue has been murdered very brutally, I mean burned to death, at least that's what we're led to believe in this first issue, that man, that, that full-page panel with Ralph with his arms wrapped all the way around his dead wife, and his whole face yeah, just, just melting, literally melting, uh, is just, you know, tragic. I remember the first time I read it, it, you know, literally choked me up. And then later on, when another character dies, we'll talk about that in a moment, too, that also got to me. Mm -hmm. But I think what makes, just as a general impression, the thing that makes Identity Crisis such a great read is not that Brad Meltzer is able to bring in characters from you know, maybe semi-obscure characters from the DCU, and tell this story essentially from the point of view of Green Arrow, but that he's able to tell a freaking awesome mystery that has you guessing until the very end. Yeah. And that's what I loved about Identity Crisis. Rodrigo, do you want to... Oh, go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. Go to Rodrigo first. Rodrigo's all special. Look at me. I'm Rodrigo. I'm going to be answering first. Well, it's either that or you get him going, hmm. <laughs> Rodrigo, go. <laughs> Rodrigo, any initial thoughts about about the series? Uh, I think the best thing about Identity Crisis is that basically it's two stories, two fairly disturbing stories, right? Um, that sort of one comes out in the process of like one secret comes out in the process of solving another mm -hmm. um and and really that i think that's 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 what's masterful about the series yeah. um you know a lot of these characters i wasn't entirely familiar with i i was aware of you know captain boomerang um i was not really all that uh well versed in elongated man i mean i i'd seen plastic man kicking around right um and i always you know approaching it from this decade back right it always seemed like plastic man was the cool guy and elongated man was just a guy with that was a little bit less crazy and had the same powers so you know i never really looked it up and this actually made me a, a, a lot more interested in along in elongated man but for me you know the identity crisis is kind of the elongated man story yeah and everything else moving backwards from that is just kind of tainted by the utter sadness of how things are going to end up right right yeah. Matthew, do you have some initial reactions? The first issue came up with a couple of things that I think were really mind-blowing at the time. Okay, such as? That, to, well, honestly, five years later that are, are already starting to you know, show their age. Uh, the fact that for all intents and purposes throughout this story, there are two Justice Leagues. There's right. the league that consists of Clark and Bruce and Diana and you know, to a lesser degree maybe Barry or Hal. And then there's the league that consists of – Green Arrow and Elongated Man and Hawkman and the Atom and Zatanna, the characters who were always there in the satellite era but were never treated as the top bananas. Mm -hmm. And there's a very clear 
unintentional, obviously, but a very clear delineation of A-list, B-list. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And it's the B-listers who actually are at the center of the drama. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else that was awesome to me is I've actually got and read repeatedly the Satellite Era League issues, including the ones where they actually fought Dr. the the uh, secret society of supervillains. Mm. Oh, the one where they and they places? actually, yeah. yeah, they actually mind wipe yeah. the secret society of supervillains. Well, and that's the thing that that's really kind of cool about this series is Meltzer doesn't go doesn't make a point to say, "Hey, I'm retconning all of this stuff mm-hmm. and making it work in my story." What he's doing is he's saying, "Here are events that happened. Now here's what you didn't see after that issue ended, or here's what you didn't see outside of the panel." Here's the secrets that the League has gone out of their way to protect. Right, and I love that that aspect of the story. There's one thing that drives me nuts. Which is? And I, you know, I do not want to speak ill of the recently deceased, right. but the late Michael Turner handles the covers. Right. The interiors are handled by Rags Morales, right. and Rags is one of my favorites ever since the Impact comic days where he was drawing Mighty Crusaders. Mm-hmm. Rags is an incredibly detailed draftsman. Yeah. And Rags puts a lot of effort into every page to make it interesting and the composition very different. And the covers are so diametrically opposed yeah. from what's inside that I almost didn't read the book. Mm. Because the covers, let's off. be frank, are but freaking ugly. The interiors are beautiful, but if you look at the cover of Final Crisis number one, we have this incredibly malnourished Flash. We have Zatanna standing in a position that she'd have to have a broken neck and be somewhat dead to be in. Yeah, you're talking Identity have, Crisis? Yeah, that's what Identity talking. Crisis, right. forgive me. No, no, I'm looking right. at issue one right sure, now. Sure, I sure. actually have the issues. And you have Superman crying tears out of the portion of the eye where the tear duct yeah, ain't. From... Now, granted, it's Kryptonian, so he could have Kryptonian yeah. tear ducts on the outside. I'm not saying that it couldn't be possible. I'm just saying that. Oh my God, covers... we figured it out. Check out, check uh, Superwoman's tear ducts. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Every issue has these covers that were, you know, the whole uh, buy this because it's you know it's yeah, it's a Michael Turner cover. It's I, actually a hard got, artist. I actually got Michael Turner to sign all of my covers. Wow. When I met him at the Planet Comic Con. So. Aren't you a fanboy Yes, geek? I am. But it's just there. there's a real huge, to me, gulf between what we're seeing on those covers and what's going on inside the book. And to me, what's inside the book is so much more enjoyable. It feels like these covers are the wrong kind of bait mm. and switch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that actually would turn me away and almost did turn me away from the series. I, what I like about issue one is, again, for people who don't know the, the Sue and, and Ralph story, uh, Ralph is out on patrol trying to check out this box that these two schmoes are trying to sell. We don't know what's in that. And there's another thing that I like about that and I'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, essentially he knows that he's being sent out of the house to so Sue can set up a surprise party. And he's got everything figured out in advance because, you know, he's one of the world's greatest detectives. But... In his patrol with what's her name, Flamebird? No, what is her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Firehawk. Firehawk. Uh, she's like, so what's the deal with you and Sue? And so for people who don't know who Sue is and and their relationship, you find out within a couple of pages how much they love each other. And I love the fact that he talks about you know why I think she's my gal is I was at a party and. Uh, Barry showed up, and everybody was so infatuated with Barry, but she was infatuated with me. 
She fell in love with me. And he thinks that that's the greatest thing in the world, and that's why they should always be together. And then as we start to see the relationship between Bolt and uh, the Calculator, which I thought was an interesting place to introduce the Calculator as the anti-Oracle character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We start which to was see real this... strong. I mean, this is this is where that originates, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm almost and, and it was really there. strong. I was really into that. Yeah, and this whole play of these two goons who may or may not have guns, and the reveal of what is inside the box, the Luthor armor, which, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, tied into the Batman Superman uh, Superman series. Batman. Yeah, that series because of... at the time Luthor was still president, I believe. Right. And so I thought that that was very interesting that they were tying that in there without making it blatantly obvious. But then this whole aspect of here's the bolt getting shot down. At the same time, Sue is having something terrible happen to her in the apartment. And Ralph is more than willing to just say, screw these bad guys. Get me home now. I don't care if I burn on the way home. You get me home because there's something wrong with my wife. And then how the tale just reveals this, again, this shattering cover that she is dead, and even the worst, even worse, is that even though Ralph had figured out what his gift was going to be, and even though he thought he had everything figured out about the the mystery that uh, his wife had planned for him, he didn't Mm. plan for the big reveal that she was going to tell him that they were pregnant Mm -hmm. and that she was carrying the child, which makes it, you know, a double homicide, and just so, which digs that knife even deeper, which... Man, if you're gonna if you're gonna mess with people's heads, if you're gonna make death real, if you're gonna make death you know as permanent as it is in comic books, throw in that that baby card. Man, that digs deeper, 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 deeper. Yeah. You didn't like it, or you thought that was schlocky? You know how I feel about, about baby's endangering death. babies. Yeah, endangering funny. children is a shortcut. Right. Now, granted, I'll 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 grant you that Meltzer drops it here in a way that is affecting. And effective, mm-hmm. but endangering children, endangering babies, having somebody prove their evil by hurting a child right. is becoming a cliche. But see, nobody it's knew. The, but... It's the equivalent of you know the old. It's the reverse of the old trope of the superhero saving a kitten from a tree. Right. It's lame. Well, maybe it's lame to the point of being distracting. Now, granted, this was five years ago. Yeah. I hadn't seen it near as much. Yeah. But it bugged me then, and it bugs me now. And I love how we flash back and forth through time. It, it makes you focus on the story a little bit so you know what's happening then and now. And I love the exchange early in that issue where Clark and his parents are, are kicking back, and he's like, ah, oh, crap, Dad, lock the door. And then the issue folk makes a switch. We, we get introduced. The other thing that's real interesting in this first issue is we get introduced to all the key players in this first issue. We get introduced to Robin's storyline. We get introduced to Clark's storyline. We get introduced to, of course, Ralph's storyline and even the Black Lightning Katana um, story, which they don't really play too much of a role throughout the issue, which I thought was rather odd to just kind of toss them in there. Uh, filler. But, but then we instantly hit Minority the Ollie, Ollie telling the story. And we get to see that Batman shows up to the scene early, and he's done his thing and says, don't anybody enter, and Ollie's like, screw that. We've got plans in place ever since I died. And just this whole breakdown of how everybody comes into the investigation I thought was very awesome. Yep. Then we get to the funeral, and I like the fact that, you know, the heroes are honoring Sue and honoring Ralph by carrying the coffin in. But they're not forgetting that Sue came from a very wealthy family and has a family outside of the superheroes, where they even include the uncle who wants mm-hmm. to carry the heaviest part of the uh, coffin. 
the funeral scene uh, has everybody who is a friend of the Dibneys. To the point where I believe they even said that they drew in uh, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke as the grieving parent or grieving family there in the front row at the funeral. But what I find interesting in this double page spread, you have just about every active hero that's out there. We've got Diana and Jay Garrick and we've got Superman and we see Robin and the original Green Lantern and the blue and the gold. We see the Ray. We see Captain Comet, Aquaman, all these people. We see even Commissioner Gordon allowed to sit up in the hero section. We don't see Batman anywhere. And that, to me, was a little disturbing. Unless he is somebody that's dressed in one of the suits. Unless he's the one that's standing next to uh, Slam Brady, there in the uh, next to Dr. Midnight, leaning forward to talk to Booster. I don't know. I don't see Bruce there. And that's kind of troubling, that he wouldn't either show up as himself, Bruce Wayne, or as Batman. Hmm. What page are you looking at? Uh, it's the double-page spread where they're carrying it in, and I don't yeah. know what number it is. It's in that first issue. Uh, okay. It's is Matches Malone there? <sighs> yeah, that's the guy with is the there? hat, right? No, the one with the hat is Slam Bra- Brady. Oh, Sam, Slam Bradley. Slam Bradley. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think the guy on Matches the other Malone side of, um... is Batman's secret identity. He'd be a guy in glasses yeah, with, with a greasy with mustache a, and, and matches. matches in his mouth. And I don't see him there as well. No. Isn't the guy on the other side of Doctor Midnight, um, Lawrence Blood, or wait, what's his uh, name? Jason, Jason Blood. Jason Blood. Could be the guy who's uh, Etrigan. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. Jason Blood has the white streak in his hair. But the one that's leaning forward, whispering to Booster. I don't know who that is. Nah, that doesn't. That, well, that doesn't look like the usual depictions of Batman. Right. Or as Bruce Wayne or whoever. I mean, we do get to see that Jimmy and wait. Lois are there reporting yeah. in later pages. But nowhere do we see Batman or Bruce Wayne there, which, again, to me is very troubling. Now, granted, it's interesting in the fact that Bruce Wayne is so troubled about the death of his parents still that maybe he doesn't want to attend a funeral. Maybe he's so broken up by the fact that he and Ralph used to solve mysteries together. Maybe he's off on the case. Well, and that's the other thing, that he's so driven to figure out what's going on that he's too busy to, to bother himself with a funeral. Yeah, that was, that was a weird omission. Of not having Batman there, which I think it was an intentional out. one. Well, though. because we do not see this is the other thing we do not see Batman appear in the issue in, in the series until like issue five. But given the revelations in issue five, yeah, couldn't there be something going on in Bruce's brain that you know that makes him? Because it wasn't very long after these events that he actually quit the league right. and started the Outsiders, right? I'm wondering if, you know, in retrospect, we aren't supposed to think that Bruce maybe had some some niggling memory in the back back of his brain that, you know, made him uncomfortable with the league, made him leave the league, made him not want to be part of league Mm -hmm. stuff. Issue two, we discover that everybody's breaking up into teams except for uh, Zatanna, Hawkman, the Atom, Green Lantern, Green Arrow and uh, Black Canary, later joined by Kyle Rayner and... uh, that Green Lantern and um, Wally West. Wally West, and we discover why they want to go after Doctor Light. And again, probably one of the second most troubling. You know, it seems like every issue in this series had a troubling moment, a real kind of e creepy kind of moment. Yep. Where they reveal that yeah, Doctor Light did break into the satellite, but Sue was also there. But instead of just playing shenanigans, the guy goes ape crazy. And rapes her. Yeah. Well, he, the the 
for me, because I wasn't familiar with with the Dibnis, yeah, Dibnis, yep. Um, this this is what this is what this book was about to me. I mean, obviously, after that you get the mystery, but the thing that really shocked me was this whole, um, the big secret that the league's been. That she was raped, or the no, follow no, up afterwards. The, the follow up, the okay. follow up afterwards, like okay. that. That when I think back about identity crisis, mm-hmm. that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. This this was really the part that impacted me the hardest. That and the fight yep. with Slade, which was yeah, awesome. which was pretty awesome. But this whole thing that I don't know, Matthew, were you troubled? I mean, you're troubled by the uh, mm. by the death of the babies. Are you troubled by the fact that Doctor Light was this babies. psychomaniac that was was there and took pleasure in raping? Sue, I mean, he's a bad guy. What would you expect from a villain? Dr. Light really did have a, a, a an interesting story arc in that in the 60s, he was this huge, towering menace who was able to single-handedly, you know, mess with the League. And by 1984, he was this joke who could barely handle a depowered Kid Flash and his girlfriend Magenta. So he did make a huge <laughs> drop. And he went from being incredibly capable to being a complete buffoon but the reason this happened was because the writers didn't give a rat's ass about Dr. Light. I like the fact that there was an explanation for that. Yeah, and is it a I like the fact that it took that, you know, that dark and and capable and angry, really vicious Dr. Light and turned him organically into this mutant that we saw during the 80s and 90s, but I don't know. This was one of the first. This is one of the first issues where fans of the Justice League International, the JLI, like myself, had a lot of moments where someone at DC either doesn't like the JLI or has got a whole lot of coincidences going on. Because this is one of the first kills, if you will, of the JLI death run, which now includes what. Blue Beetle, right. it includes Ralph, right. it includes Sue, Max Lord, uh, Ice, who actually came back from the dead. Right. But I mean, Hawk there Man, was, uh, you know, Wally is dead. The deep, the depowering of Captain Marvel. The, right. You know, ev- almost everything in that JLI series has essentially been dismembered. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a book that's around 20 years old and things that are around 20 years old tend to get a lot of play in the Marvel Universe. It's why Luke Cage has a career again. But I I was bothered by the fact that Sue, who was always a very light and very fun and very romantic kind of character, not really a superhero character, not really a part of the whole Sturm und Drang of the superhero thing, became a victim. So obviously twice right. a victim of the, the over-realism of comics these mm-hmm. days. So I liked what it did. I liked the intent i didn't like that it happened to sue and i didn't really like the way that it was it was brought to our attention but but, uh, but in, does, in the course of the story it works yeah and i like how this story this what we're being told we're seeing again through ollie's eyes he is telling wally here's what happened here's why we are going after dr light here's why we think dr light is behind sue's death and there's a very telling panel that you really again you have to pay attention to the details and the art uh, because there's a, a little omission in the art that later comes back and bites you on the ass when you see it happen. And, you know, they, they take down, the, the, the team takes down Dr. Light, and Ralph takes Sue to the hospital, and in the meantime, 
everybody has this flashback, like you said, Matthew, to uh, one of the old uh, Justice League stories where they're constantly getting uh, their identities revealed and then they have to mind wipe them to the point where they say, you know, Dr. Light could remember who Sue is and he could remember who Barry is and all these things. Instead of just uh, wiping his mind, Zatanna, why don't you go in and perform a little magical lobotomy on him? Right. Having done the mind wipe of the Secret Society in, like, I think, 165, 166? Yeah. Uh, Early 160s, mid-160s of Justice League, they wiped the minds of the Secret Society because they discovered Superman... Batman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman's secret identities. Except for Wally, because as soon as they took off the mask, they said, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> but the thing was, it was the 70s, right. and protecting the superhero's identity was, it was it was just a part of the story. It was an afterthought. It was Zatanna snapping her fingers yeah. and fixing something. Yeah. And then 25 years later, or 30 years later, we we get this story that explains that maybe there was a little more to it, and it wasn't just the wants. Having done that first mind wipe, they decided that mind wiping Sue and Ralph and Dr. Light would be a great idea, because it would remove the pain that they might be going through. Yeah. And, and then the kicker comes... While they're pulling the, the mind wipe, guess who walks in but Mr. I can treat anyone given 15 minutes to plan. Yeah, that's not revealed until much later. and But it's there. But yeah, So that brings up this question then of morally. Was that the right thing to do? I mean, certainly there was a division. I mean, this really split up. They talked about how this divided the team, how half of them were for the mind lobotomy, the mm-hmm. magic lobotomy, and half of them were thinking this was too far for us to go. And the vote fell weird, too. Yeah, with it coming down to I Wally, was, or, uh, Barry having to make that decision. I would not ex- have expected Green Arrow and Barry Allen to fall on the sides that they did. Mm-hmm. But then we have to look at the point where this was right after Iris was murdered. Right. And Barry was dealing with a lot of grief. But even so, I mean, it's a point where it's shocking when Barry is the one, St. Barry, is the one to make this final, you know, decision. Morally, the question, though, is morally. What would, what side would you guys choose? Rodrigo? I, I think I would be like, if I was there, I'd be like, okay, so you guys want to wipe, mind wipe him, essentially lobotomize him, or just give him the mind wipe and, and, re- and risk getting him back. Why don't we just kill him? Well, that's the question that's always been a, a problem with the, I, the I think, superheroes. I think, Why doesn't Batman kill the Joker? On 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 a lot of levels, partly intentionally and partly I think unintentionally, this uh, this series brings up, you know, what happens when superhero morality is is stretched to the limit, right? Um, because the superhero morality is, yeah, you can you can make you can, you know he Superman can hypnotize people to make them forget his secret identity, and that's right. a violation of their mind. Right. But it's okay because it doesn't hurt them. Right. And it's better that they don't know who he is. Right. But when you get into some like somebody who is clearly a sociopath and is very dangerous, but they're still holding to that morality, and that morality is keeping them from just making the final step and saying, "Let's just gank them." Yeah. Um. They go for something that is probably even worse. They're, they're, you know, they're 
after he raped her, they're raping his mind. Right. Instead of just killing him. Right. For the better of everybody. It's like they're not strong enough to kill him, so they just go for what is potentially a worse decision. Yeah. Both morally and practically. I think if they if they don't want to cross that line of killing, I think the lobotomy was probably the best way to go. Oh yeah. Matthew? Um, I'm not sure that either decision is not crossing the line. Oh yeah. I would like to say I would like to say that if I were in Ralph's shoes or if I were in the shoes of someone close to Ralph, that I would choose the right size. But I the I gotta tell you. I probably – I had the same thought that Rodrigo did. I mean it comes to a point where you've chosen this life. You're Dr. Light. You're pure evil on a stick. You've done something that is essentially unexcusable, mm-hmm. you know, unconscionable. Mm-hmm. But if Had I the power of Superman – and this is why it's a good thing I'm not Superman. I probably would have snapped his neck or squat his head like a pumpkin right. because there comes a point – where it, 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 you have to beg that question. And that's why, you know, adult, and there's the air quotes, adult <laughs> superhero Adult superhero comics have that issue so often because we don't want to see the heroes killed. Right. We don't want to see the heroes do these things that are in the morally gray area. Mm-hmm. It's obvious to me that this is in enough of a gray area that a lot of people would say it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Throughout. And the way that the way that Rags draws Zatanna throughout the series is beautiful because Zatanna is always with this grim, witchy, unpleasant face. But especially when she's using her powers to wipe Dr. Light, she has this horrible grimace where you're just like, this, I mean, this is not the Zatanna that I know and love. This right. is not, you know, fishnets, top hat, let's have some fun. Right. This is, this is someone making, you know, crossing a line. Yeah. A big timeline, and they've they've gone out of their way to make it clear in the art that the character is changing, mm-hmm. you know, and you can actually see the change in her expression and 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 her bearing. I don't know that I dislike it. I know that I can. I would say that in my completely subjective opinion, it was the wrong move. Mm-hmm. I probably would have done it or worse in that situation. Yeah. Uh, they get to they get to Doctor Light, and that's where uh, Deathstroke comes in. Mm, Rodrigo, what do you I like about this fight? Stuff. You said it, you thought the fight was really awesome. The, I, I like the individual. Like, there's a lot of individual beats in the fight that are very cool. The other thing I like is that it ever so slightly justifies the whole. If Batman has thirty seconds to right, prepare, right. he can take down anyone. Because if Deathstroke, wait, that's his name, right? Yeah. Um, I'm like death I get I get Deathstroke and Deathlock and Deadshot and Deadshot. Yeah, Deathlock has half a face. Deadshot has one eye on an empty silver mask. Deathstroke has a half red face. Right, right. Or orange. Forgive so, me. Cl- My colors aren't all that good. <laughs> Such an idiot for getting those guys confused. <laughs> oh, all, I know. I can't believe you got that so messed up. I know. You. Worst. Tina, come get some ham. Reviewer ever. <laughs> um. That joke, courtesy of 2004. Um, no, I, I like the fact that, you know, there's there's another guy kicking around who can pull a Batman like that. Right. That he's a bad guy. Right. And just the individual stuff. I, I the, the, the thing that really stuck me with the fight is how he takes down the Flash, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, well, this guy's too f- fast for me to stab. So I'll just put my sword here where he's clearly going to be because he's the Flash. 
He's too fast, but he's predictable, so stab. Yeah. Um, I like that fight a lot. And, you know, it and it doesn't just leave you with, ha-ha, he is invincible, because the heroes surge back and beat him up. Like, he gets the best of them because right. they use their powers. Right. Right. And when they stop using their powers um, and actually use their brains a little bit, they actually surge back and get him. Yeah. Throughout the fight, though, when they see when Doctor Light sees uh, Terminator all wrapped up by these team members, he has that mental break and he realizes what has happened to him. Mm-hmm. And in a big flash of light, he's gone. And when they kind of recover, there's Superman standing there, going, "All right, what's what the hell's going on?" And they're like, "Okay, well, they explained what had happened. Uh, Superman is over consoling Ralph." Yet Ollie pulls Barry aside, or I'm sorry, not Barry. Wally pulls uh, Ollie aside, and they're discussing it some more about how could you do this, you know, what's going on. And then there's kind of an interesting point that's made. You know, what would you do if, if I told told Superman? Or what would you do if I said this? Mm-hmm. And Ollie just kind of looks at him and says, hey, look, Superman hears what Superman hears. The man can hear a pin drop on the moon. Yeah. You don't think he, he's... He knows. He's, yeah. So and that's an interesting thing. Superman, the good, good, the good boy, the Boy Scout, you know, he let this happen too. It's 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 another thing that makes this book so strong is that everybody in the book makes a decision good pretty much. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even good or bad because it's all gray. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can And it's based on their particular morality. You right. can you can argue that what they did to Dr. Light was completely and absolutely justified. Right. Um you could say that what they did to Dr. Light was the right decision. It caused a lot of problems for them, but you could argue that it was the right decision. And clearly the in the end well clearly in the end Superman agreed that although it was a problematic decision, it was the right decision. Otherwise he would have busted them. Right. And Throughout this book, I mean, the next person that gets attacked is uh, Sue Loring, uh, the former wife of Gene um, Loring. Jean Loring, I'm sorry, the former wife of the Adam. And throughout this series, we start to see relationships forming. We go beyond the relationship between the JLI, char- JLI characters to the relationship between Tim Drake and his father, between Boomerang and his, his son that he didn't know he had or knew he had mm-hmm. and gave up for adoption, the relationship between the Adam and his wife, the relationship between Superman and his family and Superman and his wife. And it really starts to you know draw you in and make this to be a really family affair. Uh, I like how Brad kind of takes a lot of things out of the equation, like why can't Hal Jordan the Spectre tell us who killed Sue? Mm-hmm. And... I thought the answer was very appropriate. And I also liked how they teased in the story where Green Lantern says, or Green Arrow says, well, when are you coming back? Everybody's come back but you. And he says, I'm, I'm working on it, hmm. which was a great thing for that Green Lantern rebirth. Um, then we get to issue four. And uh, the Adam and Gene have a reconciliation. And in fact, life is is powerful because uh, love is powerful because he saved her life. There's somebody else that's attacking the characters. It may not be Dr. Light. Everybody's following these clues. Even Superman with his Boy Scout abilities figures out who tied the knot uh, that that hung her up on the, on the uh, edge of the door. We see, uh, what's his name, Captain Comet? No, what's this, this guy's name? Uh, Starfire? No, uh, Firestar? What's this guy's name? Firestorm. Firestorm. We see him blow the heck up. We see the death of a character in like three pages, which is kind of like a minor side story. We see Tim and his father having arguments on, you know, can't you just stay home? And can't you just, 
you know, not go out. And Robin's like, look, Dad, I can't sit here with you and just watch the world go by. I'm a hero. Now, previously in Batman and Detective Comics, uh, Tim Drake's dad discovered that Tim was Robin. And he and Batman had a pretty big showdown. And it was not it wasn't a pleasant sight. Uh, it was actually a pretty good series. But Tim goes out and says, Dad, I'm going to do this. Uh, here's the communicator. Let me know if anything's wrong. Stay inside, lock the door. And Tim's dad goes into, uh, Jack Drake goes into the kitchen, finds a box there that says protect yourself, and inside is a gun. And he's like, ah, crap, something's going on. And he hears something on the roof. And he calls Oracle, and Oracle's like, hold on, we'll get Tim on the line, we'll get him back home. And there's this incredible story of, oh, crap, there's a problem. And Tim basically pleading, Batman, don't let my dad die. But unfortunately, that isn't the case. Thoughts on this death scene, Matthew? There are a couple of things about it that are awesome. The sheer emotion. It is. I'm just getting kind of choked up thinking about it now. Batman. About, yeah. On Batman, as he races back, he's, is amazing. But He's terrified. The, There's look, a panel where he is terrified of yes. what Tim is going through. But if you look at the panel where everything is done and Batman actually is hugging Tim. Yeah. And Tim is looking straight out at us. Yeah. God, that's a powerful it's, panel. And I'm looking at that. It, it, it's just, I mean, it's just one of those moments where Bruce Wayne is actually showing emotion. Yeah. And Bruce Wayne never shows emotion. It's, well, it's, and Batman you know, never shows emotion except for anger. But it's, it's, it's so striking and so startling to have Batman showing emotion like this and, you know, physically hugging his de facto son. It's, it, it's, it's a really powerful moment. Well, but I'm not entirely sure of what's going on with Tim in the picture because Tim looks horrified for entirely different reasons. And I'm not sure if I'm reading too much into it or what. Why? I don't know. I mean, if you just look at the expression on his face. It's terror. He can't believe that he just told his dad off 30 minutes ago and said, Dad, I'm going out to do this. And then not being able to get back and save his father. And it's because because of his feeling of going out and protecting the city. And he can't even protect his own family member. Well, it's, it's like almost, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the curse of Batman has claimed yeah. another parent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, well, you know, a, Tim is. Go ahead. Tim is like horrified that somehow, you know, by by maybe courting Batman or becoming Robin intentionally, setting out to become Robin, it's like maybe he caused his dad to be murdered, and that feeling is, you know, it's it's horrifying. And I feel I look at that panel and I feel like Tim is is feeling as much fear of Batman as he is horror at his situation, yeah. or fear of maybe what Batman and Batman's situation represents. Well, I don't well, know. Even even Jack is telling Batman. He knows he's going to die, and he's like, take care of my kid. Don't let anything happen to my kid, essentially telling right. him you're going to be the father. And, you know, this issue doesn't lose one father. It loses two fathers because Jack Drake, being a good marksman, uh, used to be very Chills. wealthy, kills yeah. Boomerang, Captain Boomerang, because uh, what's going on with Captain Boomerang in this story, Matthew? Captain Boomerang has just discovered that he has a son, Owen. Right. And 
that Owen, you know, may or may not have any use for or reason to think of him. I'm not sure exactly, you know, where this is supposed to be taking place in terms of Boomerang's thing, but Boomerang is one of those characters, again, much like Dr. Light, who was a force to be reckoned with and then was downgraded to a buffoon. And this uh, this is kind of his last hurrah. Unfortunately, Literally. it doesn't, you know. Well, because he's yeah. the whole issue, he's trying to to make networking and connections with these other villains saying, hey, man, you got a job? Can you get me a job? Literally begging the calculator, man, you've got to find me a gig. You've got to find something that's going to put my name back on top. And he does. He says, go kill Jack Drake for whatever reason. He's not told that he's Robin's father, nothing like that. He just knows that he's supposed to go in and kill this guy, and they right. kill each other. And that death drives family even closer together. Rodrigo, mm -hmm. what did you think of the death of, of Jack Drake? Or Boomerang, or both. Uh, it's, I mean, it's good. It the, they definitely built it up. Um, and at first, I, I didn't really realize the, the the parallels between Robin and and Boomerang Junior. But I mean, here you know, there's that that panel in well, which even, yeah, back and forth, the doors kicking open and everything. Yeah, yeah. Where, where they're both standing on basically either side of the panel, yelling "Dad." Um, and then it's like it all comes together, and I mean, without flipping the page, you know what's going to happen, right? Um, and it doesn't. You know, it's were you it's were you sucked strong. in emotionally on this or not because of your experience with DC characters? Well, I mean, I I, I know I'm I'm familiar with Tim Drake um, enough to 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 have felt something, and and I I really do feel that it. You know, I mean, if I was in this position, I would have sat there and thought you know what i i just killed my dad mm -hmm. you know I, I would i think he would feel this is my fault this is my fault for getting involved with this world it's it's come down and and killed somebody else yeah um so yeah i thought it was it was really strong and it's the sort of thing that hopefully would have had repercussions um from there on out but who knows i, I guess it depends who's it, writing it kind of does i mean you know tim eventually you know moves into the wayne mansion batman or bruce wayne finally adopts him so he becomes tim drake wayne or or tim wayne mm -hmm. uh and he becomes just another three names and no last name yeah. yep um in the aftermath of all of this Wally approaches Aftermath comes lunch. Yes. Uh Wally approaches Ollie again and says, Look, man, this is really troubling. This is bothering me. You guys have to do something about it and then and tell me that you didn't do this to anyone else. And then Ollie reveals, as Paul Harvey, the late Paul Harvey, would say, the rest, the rest of the story. Of the story. If you remember that panel of Ollie telling uh Wally the story originally, there was a character absent from that fight. And Ollie tells him, hey, look, Batman was involved in that fight, too. But as often happens with Batman, and you could probably pull out your bat dick meter here, mm -hmm. uh, Batman at the Six. end of a fight just goes off and does his thing. Yep. Only this time, because it was Sue, Batman came back right in the middle of the magic lobotomy and had a fit. And the only thing that we could do was lobotomize Batman. Yep. Holy freaking crap. Another striking revelation. Lobatomized. Lobatomized. You know. <laughs> uh, again, then that brings into question, as Ollie says, if Superman knows what Superman knows, there's a probably good chance that Batman, if he wants to know, knows. Do you think Batman knew? Is that why he left and formed the Outsiders, Matthew? I think that there's 
there's definitely a case that could be made that he was retaining something mm -hmm. because it was right about that time that, again, you know, because of editorial caveat or caveat, depending on how one pronounces that word, that Batman became very distressed and unhappy with the methods of the league and yeah. split off his own team. Yeah. So I, it's nice to have that kind of depth and say, hey, maybe that's why it happened. And it's also interesting then if we are going to tie identity crisis into the rest of the crises uh, that spun out from that, why Batman got so paranoid that he created Brother I to watch over the superheroes, um, why he was willing to walk away and go, you know, reinvent himself uh, and everything that, that spun off of that. Mm. Um, as we get to the end of the show, uh, we get to the point where Dr. Midnight, and is it, who's the, who's the person assisting him? Mr. Terrific, Mr. Terrific, I believe. okay. They're assisting in the autopsy of Sue, and they can't, they discover that, hey, she was burned after she was dead. And then they right. start going into all sorts of investigations, and even Batman is, is thinking to himself, who benefits the most from a murder? You know, Detective 101, mm -hmm. who's going to benefit from this murder? And they go in, and you find inside Sue's brain... Little tiny footsteps, little tiny footsteps no! that, that caused her to have a brain hemorrhage. And suddenly Batman makes the revelation at the same time. Holy crap, it's somebody who can shrink. And there's only one person that we've seen in this story who can shrink down to that size. Only one person yeah. who benefits, the person who's gotten back with his wife that he's been estranged from and divorced yeah. from all this time. Gotta be the Adam, right? Only Batman says... That is an awesome reveal, It by really the way. was. Only... Uh, well, even Batman believes it is at the end of that fifth issue. And then we get into issue six where Gene and, uh, and uh, I'm terrible with names, totally slimy. Ray Palmer are Ray. getting ready to go to bed. And there's even a point where, and again, going back to great art, Ray is crawling into bed and she, there's some kind of innuendo that they're going to, you know, get it on. And she says, I don't like that look in your eye. And there's actually a kind of a menacing look on his face to where you might actually think, holy crap, he did kill mm -hmm. Sue. He did kill his but best friend. I, I read that more in retrospect as... Well, yes, I know, I think, but in, no, in the but... revelation in the first time that you read it, where Batman's like, John, get out of my oh, head, yeah. just find him now, and you see him crawling into bed with this menacing smile, or semi-menacing because of the eye shading, that you're thinking, right. oh my god, there's some, some badness going on. But then in the... Yeah, Adam's gonna kill his <laughs> wife, and then he's gonna eat her! <laughs> but oh, then no. in that final issue... It's the cannibal Adam! In that final issue, a gene says something that causes Ray to go... What did you just say? Oh yeah, you know this this thing. This uh, and Batman realizes it at the same time. No, it's it's not Ray that killed his wife. It's Gene. Gene did it. Gene killed yep. Sue, and she she has gone what we refer to as Albonzo Seiko. And she explains very cut and dried. Now Brad Meltzer, he comes from a a novel writing background, right? He's not a comic book writer first and foremost, is he? Uh, I believe he's Judd Winnick's college roommate, but yes, he primarily wrote uh, novels. So he comes from this background where you get to the final act in a murder mystery where you reveal the who done it and you reveal the why they done it. Mm -hmm. And she just very matter-of-factly says, look, 
I wanted you back. I had to know if the romance was there. I wanted to put Sue in danger, but I didn't think I'd kill her. So I borrowed your shrinking suit, and I took along some other weapons just in case. I didn't know I was going to kill her, and so I burned her afterwards just to see if you'd come back for me. See, aren't we happy now? Can't we just forget all this? And Ray realizes, holy crap, lady, you are insane. It was just like the old days. Yeah. Oh, yeah, literally. You could you could hear her saying that in that sing-song motion, uh, that sing-song oh. inflection. And Creepy, creepy, creepy. The only thing everyone anyone can do is just lock her up in Arkham. Light her on fire and roll her down a hill. <laughs> lock her up in Arkham and walk away. And that's exactly what Ray does to the point where he's like, I can't believe I've been the catalyst for all of this tragedy in all these people's lives. Gene is behind the death of, of, uh, of uh, Tim's father. Mm-hmm. She's behind the death of Sue. She's behind the death threat of Lois Lane. And Ray can't do it, and he just shrinks down to nothingness. It's in the afterword, though, that we really find out that Sue and Ralph are meant to be together forever. Where he talks to her, even though she's not there. And it's a great little scene where he's like telling really bad jokes, acting like he can hear her respond to the point where she's like, okay, I gotta go now. And he's like, okay, I'll talk to you later. Good night, honey. The end. It's so sad. Is it sad or is it touching? Well, I mean, it's, it's touching. And, you know, maybe what, a year later, Ralph died too. Uh, was it a and, year? I think it was no. Is it like two years later? Because we had to go through that it whole. It wasn't very long. It was in fifty-two. Other, no, but we had to go through that whole other crisis, the one that uh, blew up everything and and made everything go wacky. And we saw the return of Alex Luthor and and Tom Welling Prime Punch. We had to go through a year of that first. That was nah. uh, that was uh, what was that one? Finite crisis. Infinite, Infinite crisis. crisis. All right, and then that then fifty-two, which he died, and they were reunited because the whole point of fifty-two is. He's so depressed about losing his wife, he'd rather kill himself than than be without Infinite her. Infinite crisis. What do you yeah. think? You know, did you read? Did you read DC after Identity Crisis, Rodrigo? No, actually, Identity Crisis is pretty much the last series that I read for DC because after the after um, Infinite Crisis, I I just when they were like, "Hey, we're undoing everything that Crisis on Infinite Earths was and bringing back the multiverse," I was like, "I'm out." Yeah. So you did you didn't see uh Gene Loring turn into Eclipso? No. Matthew, what did you think of that turn? Did you like it or hate it or did it make a natural well, progression? I didn't yeah. I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it at all. It was it was an interesting progression. It was not a natural progression. And having a character like Gene who was really really effective here as just a normal woman who wanted her old husband back. And then turn her into this super-powered Looney Tune swanning around the universe and trying to take down the Spectre. You know, it's it's one of those things where, hey, it's a natural progression of the story in this universe, but it's it's not a necessary progression. Yeah. Yeah. I think she would have been served better as a lone Looney Tune in a box somewhere that we occasionally revisit and go, okay, that was creepy. Because it was – Hey, remember when Sue Dibney was set on fire? You know. Right. Twice because you know he tried to bring her back to life as a as a straw Sue who later got burned. You know what? She would make a great Black Lantern. Ooh, 
But you have to think that without Jean being all crazy and being all eclipsoized, Mary Marvel wouldn't have been tempted and turned into dark Mary Marvel, which then wouldn't have oh. turned into all the craziness that we had now. Uh, Ma's death. So where's the downside? I don't know. Uh, maybe they should have just See? left her in a box. See? That's why I jumped out. Indeed. Uh, Ma's death. Isn't most it death. most death? Most death says, uh, what up, guys? Uh, Love his songs. <laughs> the raping of Sue was pretty hard for me to read because I'd never encountered anything like that in a comic before, but it made the story that much better. Usually when I read a comic book, I suspend disbelief, but that made the comic almost too real. It also showed different sides to superheroes that I hadn't seen since Spider-Man when Gwen Stacy died. The emotion in the scene of Sue's funeral, the Robin uh, uh, father's, father's death, had me captivated before I'd even seen Batman as anything other than a crime fighter. Uh, let's see, he made it to the scene, uh, meant her father, uh, only to see the um, the interplay of what happened to the various Robins. The scenes involving various heroes trying to find out who did it brought a sense of teamwork to the series. Having never read Justice League, I didn't know much about the characters. Uh he says that the decision to wipe Dr. Light in Batman's mind would have been easy. Kill Dr. Light and still erase Batman's memory. Uh, Double Dumbass on You says, Matthew has to hate this series, or at least the snark level will be up, turned up to 11. That <laughs> yeah, shows what he knows. Rico says, the words hit the fan came to mind. I loved Identity Crisis as a standalone crisis, but the fact Brother I and the other plot lines spawned from what they did to Bruce, among other things, and how it led to all the following crises sort of cheapens what was otherwise a great comic on human suffering. Well, that, Absolutely. that always that always kind of happens. I mean, arguably, Hush was a good series. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talked about it. We, I think we liked it, yeah. right, in general. Yeah. And then what happens? Somebody goes by, conks out the Riddler, he loses the memories, Hush comes back. You know, you right. get all this stuff that retroactively cheapens everything that happens. And that always happens. And it's not just with DC. It's just that DC has, I think DC has that way sharper pendulum of they come out with an absolutely awesome series that deconstructs their characters Mm -hmm. and just lets you look deep, deep, deep into their souls. And then they take all the fallout from that and construct an absolutely idiotic four-color, like... Bombastic, loony, like, like, nine-comic fight scene. Right. In which all of that is turned into crap. Right. I think Identity Crisis was really good. A little kid told me. Yeah, Identity identity Crisis really did that. And then they followed it up with Infinite Crisis. Right. Following that, though, they had another success with 52, which I thought worked really well. But then they followed that up with Countdown. And then Final Crisis. And now um, Trinity. Right. Uh, Some things work and some things don't. And I think that, you know, I hate to say it, you only, you know, you only get this... uh, Superstorm, you know, this this converging of items happening at one time only happens rarely. And you should take yeah. that as here's something that we really achieved and something that we did well instead of trying to how do we redo the success but not doing it as well thought out as before. Oh, exactly. And, you know, people are like, oh, holy crap, I want to read more about that that Justice right. League. right. You know that the Hawkman and all those guys; those guys are awesome. I want I want to read more about the the, the decisions that they had to make. So mm-hmm. they're like, okay, uh, let's whip up a series, mm-hmm. and they just catapult off of the previous series, take all the characters that were popular, and put them in situations where they're trying to recapture that, and it just doesn't work. And and, and you almost I almost wish that they were like, okay, well, this Justice League is really popular. Let's not touch it. Right. Right. Let's see well, if we can come up with something else. 
that that Salieri actually makes a point yeah, that that I thought was was key go as ahead. well. I'm sorry, I just talk all over you guys. No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm Stephen. Remember? No, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, Salieri no, makes. What are you going to say about that... Salieri? Salieri? <laughs> you know, Stephen. You're Stephen. Oh, I'm you're talking Steven? to me. Oh, I thought you were talking to yourself there. Wait, I'm Steven. Anyway, go on with that. Salieri says, there. I have to say that given what a good job they did rehabilitating Dr. Light with the series, it really reflects poorly on following writers what they did following that in that The Last Shot of Life, musing to himself with the King Lear pose and that creepy, creepy expression on his face. Salieri thought he'd be rising up to Dr. Doom levels of gentleman villainry, but they had him still be a buffoon and go on raping women every other sentence. Yeah. It's a good point. They took what was the least important part yeah. of the rebadassifying of Dr. Light and made it the only portion of the characterization that stuck. And I think that happened a little bit with the Eclipso reveal, yeah. with the Brother Eye reveal, certainly, with the point where we find out, you know, going into Countdown that uh, everything you know is wrong again and stuff. Well, you, even know, it, the, you know, even the Brother Eye stuff led to the death of, of Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. Yes, and led to more deaths of more characters, and and as you Which said led earlier, more characters from the JLI. That's what I was going to say, killing more of those characters. So, final thoughts here as we go out of the show. Obviously, we went a little longer than we anticipated. Meh. Uh, highly recommend. Time is an illusion. Recommend, here, here are categories. Highly recommend. Good right. read. Meh. Don't buy. Um. As as a. Uh... I would actually highly recommend it. Be it's it's as far as I'm concerned, it's the last good series in the <laughs> DC, DC universe. Okay, with the with the possible exception of uh the uh Sinestro Core, mm-hmm. but that's gonna get retconned anyway, because you know the the universe will collapse yet again. Okay, um, so I would highly recommend it. The only thing that I didn't like about this is that, and now it's not the only culprit, is that. After they printed this, you could no longer refer to Crisis on Infinite Earths as right. Crisis. Right. Uh, and, of course, crisis. now you can't refer to anything as Crisis because right. everything's a crisis. Right. Matthew? The Crisis is still the Crisis, Rodrigo. doesn't matter what you've done. You kids with your your, your fancy schmancy infinite things. finals. Hey, hey, hey I'm, I'm with your, you on that one, old man. Your bicycles <laughs> that don't have one giant wheel on the front. <laughs> I would say good read simply because there's a lot going on here that is even now is not usually something you get from even your most adult superhero comic. And it's handled in a manner that is at least interesting no matter how troubling it is. And like you said, there's a troubling moment every issue. It's handled well. It gives us the characters insights. The interior art is fabulous. This is one of the few times when I would recommend getting the trade or the hardcover. Oh, definitely get the hardcover. You don't have to look at those god-awful covers every 60, 24 pages, whatever Actually, it is. you do. They're yeah, in they're there. in there. The, you, well, are, are you threatening me? No, no, no. I said they're in there. You don't have to look at Just them if you don't want to. You're threatening me. I'm going to get up <laughs> out this chair. Let me tell you something, Stephen. If you ever hit me and I ever find out about it, <laughs> as we're going to have a talk. As a side note, both Stephen and I like Michael Turner's art. I do. I've got the poster, um, the Wonder Woman. I, I do cover, agree actually. that the art is actually downright misleading. Like the covers, yeah, look nothing like the inside of the book. I will say that they are both good, but it's you no. know it's it's getting it's it's like putting a, a jelly bean 
in your mouth expecting it to be cherry and it turns out to be some completely different flavor. Maybe you like it that flavor It turns out to too. be like red hot. Exactly. It turned out to be butter. You know they have <laughs> butter jelly yeah. beans? That's gross. Oh, that's nasty. Actually, I, I do have to respond to your implication that the covers were as good as the interiors with a quote from the great philosopher William Wonka who said, Wrong, sir! Wrong! <laughs> I say good day! Anyway, and we have to say you good day here. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. Good day, sir. I say good day. Uh, I have to say, highly recommend it. Uh, a great, great story. Lots of tragedy. Even if you don't know the characters, you can get caught up oh, into yeah. them very easily. Now, there's certainly some other stories, like the relationship between how did Tim's father find out he was superhero fighting, that takes place in other stories. But I think you kind of pick up on that pretty mm -hmm. well. Um, so highly recommended, pick it up, and highly recommended. Yep. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you for staying with us a little bit longer than, than we had anticipated, but I just, this is a great series. I love it so much. That's why I wanted to go in depth in a lot of these things. Uh, in depth. Yes. You too, Matthew. In depth. In depth. You can be part of the Major Spoilers experience by heading over to Majorspoilers.com. Uh Tell all your friends, please. We want to get uh, 100,000 people downloading this these shows. That's right. The only way that's going to happen, only way that's going to happen is if you go out and tell your friends, tell the person at the comic book, just force them. Just say, hey, dude, do you listen to the Major Spoilers podcast? Well, no. What's a Major Spoilers podcast? Majorspoilers.com. Download the podcast. Check it out. Get up onto the iTunes. Get people to do it because we can do great things with more things on the way. Next week, I forget who's been begging us for this, but next week, we're finally going to cover Mouse Guard. Fall 1152. Uh, this Saturday, we've got another podcast again, another show. This one talking about the latest player's guide for Dungeons & Dragons. And again, you want to listen carefully towards the end because I pose a question to the major spoiler legion out there, and your answer is going to... Determine the course of the show <laughs> for Just one whole episode. Or maybe more. Uh, so don't forget, tell everyone about the show. Be sure to listen in because we know that you love comics. And we do, too. We'll talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands? Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm 
don't start raving rich like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Whoa, 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 whoa. What a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.